Okay, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the United Vision series. Today, we are thrilled to bring you another compelling story that shed light on the remarkable journeys and lived experiences of undocumented immigrants. Today, we are joined by the incredible Paul Ryan. And Paul, can you tell me how to say your last name? <laughs> Oh, it's um. I I usually just say Villanueva, but in Filipino it's Villanueva, and I believe in Spanish it's Villanueva, so it okay. doesn't really matter. Okay, I'll say Villanueva, and yeah. a individual who identifies as queer, Filipino, and undocumented, hailing from Seattle, Mister Paul is an impressed. Uh, impassioned activists, particularly in matters concerning the rights and experiences of undocumented immigrants. Um, with an undergraduate degree in political science and a recent graduation with a master's in public administration program with a specialized focus in environmental policy, Paul has developed a strong academic foundation. And today I'm particularly interested in exploring Paul's personal journey as an undocumented individual residing in Seattle, as well as delving into the noteworthy political initiatives he's undertaken. Um, our conversation also definitely aims to shed light on the challenges faced by undocumented queer individuals and highlight the significant contributions they can make within the political sphere. So that's kind of what we're here to do. A lot of my research that I'm doing right now is on the undocumented and queer experience and how the two intersect one another. Um, I'll be presenting a workshop at the symposium and the title is, this is the working title right now, but they love us if we're not their sons, querying the undocu narrative. So yeah, kind of a cool, interesting thing that we're going to be working on. So I know I just introduced you, but can you tell us your name, pronouns, and where you're from? Hi, I'm Paul Ryan Villanueva, he, him, pronoun, and I am from Seattle, Washington. Awesome. So I know I gave a little bit about your background, but could you tell us like just a brief personal journey and um, some of the work you do? Just a little like brief get to know you. You could throw in an interesting fact there as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I went to University of Washington for my undergrad um, and studied political science with a focus in political economy. And right after that, I... Um, applied for a grad school at the Evans School of Public Policy. Um, so I just finished with a master in public administration. Um, I've been working a lot with um, APALA, the Asian Pacific American Labor Alliance, Seattle chapter. Um, and we delved into multiple projects. Uh, as an example, one project was um, surveying community members in the Seattle area to learn more about their perspective and um, experiences with housing and transportation in Seattle. And at the end of that project, we were able to recommend the city of Seattle um, policy recommendations um, and in which it's they're processing it right now and trying to incorporate um, a lot of those policy recommendation within their 20 year plan that, that they will be releasing this September. Um, other than that, I work a lot with organizing um, and do a lot of um, program managing and coordinating with a policy chapter and other community organization around the Seattle area. And on top of that, I am also the outreach director for Empowering API, which is an undocumented 
um, organization um, that came to be from the UCLA Labor Center and Apollo National, in which we really work with uplifting stories and uh, resources for undocumented um, Asian Pacific Islander in the country. Wow, what an accomplishment. <laughs> oh. <laughs> wow, to hear you involved in all those things and like coming from your journey, I think that's pretty cool. And I actually stumbled upon Paul's extraordinary narrative within this book right here. Um, so within the pages of Did You Eat Yet? It's a captivating vine captured by, curated by the Empowering API. And so they're an undocumented led organization empowering Asian and Pacific Islander communities to advocate for social change. And for anybody listening, if you're interested in a copy of the sign, feel free to visit uh, tinyurl.com slash order sign. And that's all one thing. So tinyurl.com slash order sign. And you guys have to get this because Paul's story is really incredible. And that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to talk to him and to kind of get to know a little bit more about his journey, because not only did it really relate to the work that I was interested in, but I think I share similar um, experiences with you. So Paul, I want to start off by asking you if you could tell us a little bit about why it was important for you to share your story and why was it important for you to center your journey around your identity as both queer and undocumented? I think the most important thing in really like sharing my story is to show other undocumented um, immigrants that, you know, there are people like them, even though it's not the same story, but it might be the same experiences, right? Um, and a lot of undocumented immigrants really don't know, like, they're, they're scared to come out of the shadows and maybe, like, having a voice like myself, right, or other undocumented immigrants uh, on these stories will make them more involved and just be more positive in thinking like, oh, if they can do it, I can do it too. Those kind of things. Um, I think for me, it was really important to really dive into um, my identity as Filipino and queer because, and undocumented, <laughs> because it was a bit confusing, I think. <laughs> there was like, oh yeah, growing up learning that I'm undocumented but I can't say I'm undocumented, but I'm also having problems with coming out and like being who I am as queer Filipino. Um, because, you know, Filipinos, they're really conservative and, you know, based in like the whole Catholic religion. Mm. Um, and I was really scared of coming out, but I was also trying to find my identity in which I can never really share the same experience with community around me because they're not undocumented and I can't come out because all my family has been saying was like oh like you can't tell them you're undocumented or you know have you deported so I was scared of you know being myself in front of community members but I was also scared being with my family because mm. they might judge me as being queer wow wait that's so interesting and like <laughs> you talk also makes me like realize that there's a lot of like learning that you have to do especially with like learning that you're undocumented and facing that reality but also learning what it means to be queer and like actually accepting both identities and like their own individual journeys so hearing you yeah. say that 
especially at the end like definitely not easy and we're gonna go into that paradox a little bit in a bit but is there anything else you want to add no i think that i think that's about it. it's just a lot of like i guess struggle yeah um <laughs> <laughs> Um, so in your narrative, you eloquently address a profound paradox, um, the one we were just talking about, and I think that resonates with many queer individuals who are undocumented. And this duality kind of manifests as a sense of fear stemming from your undocumented status in society, while also having fear within the confines of your home due to your sexual orientation. So it's like you have like the dichotomy of kind of both of those experiences. And could you provide insight into kind of the emotional landscape of what it meant not having a space where you felt, from what I'm hearing, is a genuine sense of belonging, right? Because you're like a second class citizen on the outside, legally, legitimately, but also a lot of ways you're kind of like that at home. And so how did this affect you and your like personal growth and like navigating the world? So, yeah. I think it was harder for me because I was living with my aunt. Um, My parents were back in the Philippines and I haven't seen them in a long time. And I was kind of stuck in a limbo. I was like, oh, what should I do? Like, I can't do anything. I didn't know I could go to school, right? Mm. And so, yeah, it was just like, I want to be myself, but I can't I can't, I can't, work because of my undocumented status. Um, I think I fell into depression sometimes back then. And I was just really, I just had myself, I... Not a lot of people knew I was undocumented. I couldn't tell that to my, even my closest friends. And even, yeah. And even if I do, I think my closest friend really don't understand being undocumented. They think it's something easily that that could be fixed, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas my people that <laughs> have like, a, oh, just do this, just do that. You can travel, yeah. of course yeah. you can. Not that big of a deal. <laughs> and then where I'm my family was like, who are you gonna marry? Like, mm-hmm. did you find a girl yet, right, or a girlfriend? And I was just like, oh, like I, yeah, like. <laughs> it's like the gay panic comes in like i yeah no i'm not really thinking of marriage right um it's not until like 2012 like three years i was here that um gay marriage was legalized at the supreme court level so the federal like i mean in in washington state it was legalized before uh federally Mm -hmm. but um ever since the supreme court decision on um gay marriage um then you were able to change your your stat like your uh, immigration status when you become married to a man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's not a conversation I think that, <laughs> that yeah. I would tell like my oh like oh yeah I'm gay like let me find a boyfriend. Yeah. But yeah. but like even even I think thinking about having a partner it was hard for me because like what do I do like I don't I can't even work I can't afford to have a partner right like you 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 have this many thoughts of what if Mm -hmm. (laughs) so basically what I did was like to to be able to find myself I 
my friend was in a gay choir and I was like, since I'm not doing anything, you know, this could be a hobby for me. But within that gay choir, I think I started learning more about the gay community within the Seattle area and the gay history, um, like importance of it. Mm. And that's how like slowly accepting myself as like who I am, but mm. but also not telling, I mean, I still haven't told, you know, my family about being gay mm. um and i mean that's a really hard topic to delve into yeah it's so cool though to hear you say that you found that space where you were able to find and figure out yourself and i think that for queer and undocumented people claiming space making space and finding space is so important because how else are we supposed to thrive how else are we supposed to learn and how are we supposed to fail i one of my favorite authors ocean vaughn i think if you don't have anybody listening to this go listen to ocean he's an amazing um poet and author and he said that the queer experience like part of being queer is failing because like we're not taught anything like nobody teaches you how to be gay I mean like as boys especially like we're grown up to be like heterosexual like heteronormative like culture super toxic masculinity the whole shebang and so we're not really taught how to be queer or to really live as ourselves so like so much of what we learn is through failure through like going through these um circumstances that a lot of other people don't have to go through so I think that we need a space where it's comfortable for us to do that and where we're able to explore that so I'm glad that you were able to find that space in your life yeah I mean my thought process like who else could teach me right like my family don't know anything about being undocumented but they also don't know about mm. being gay mm-hmm. <laughs> um so one of the things that I'm doing in my research is exploring themes of boyhood and manhood which I mm. like two terms that I think have like such distinct like I don't know visuals with them so much like I think animosity maybe around them so many feelings just around them I think it's essential to acknowledge how societal expectations often constrain young men preventing them from fully embracing the joys and explorations that come with boyhood what I mean by that is like as young men we're frequently pressured to like conform to these rigored notions of masculinity which may limit our ability to experience the beauty and freedom that comes with joyhood I mean boyhood so with that in mind I would like to kind of delve into your personal perceptions of boyhood and manhood um how would you define boyhood and what does it represent to you in terms of freedom self-expression and personal growth and then conversely as you're navigating now into manhood how do you envision that and like in terms of identity and responsibility and expectations from society what does that look like so boyhood first so what does that represent and then now that you're transitioning to manhood like what do you envision and what does that look like for you I think boyhood is just really exploring uh, what you can do as growing up right um I think it was different for me because like the boyhood um I would say I was living in Egypt I was pretty privileged (laughs) 
Um, my dad was a diplomat. Um, so like, basically, <laughs> yeah, and you know, I acknowledge that. Um, that I had a lot more freedom back then. Mm-hmm. Um, being being in Egypt, um, I could do anything. Um, go anywhere I want. Uh, whereas when I moved to the U.S., I was uh fifteen, sixteen, mm. and um, I mean, you know, that's I think when you transition to like boy and manhood but being undocumented i think we mature fast we have to mature fast enough and both emotionally (laughs) because we need we need to adapt to like and figure it out we need to figure figure it out out. (laughs) because yeah there's no one else that that will teach us to do this and that because a Mm -hmm. lot of people don't know how to to process just even being in school like how do you go to higher education right like I think mm. for me, I I would say that I was still in boyhood after high school graduation. I graduated here in 2011 because I was st- still trying to figure out myself, um, trying to explore um, both emotionally, sexually, physically, um, what I can do, um. But like going into manhood, I think is having that decision, that that um committed decision to do something. I think, mm. like, um, for me, that would be like when I decided to go back to school. I was committed to going back to school. I didn't know if I could, but I risked it. Mm-hmm. Right um my family were like oh you can't just be doing like filling up application you're gonna get yourself deported and Mm -hmm. I you know I eventually have my own voice and I followed my own thoughts and opinion Mm -hmm. um and I think this also delves into having your own opinion of being gay like you know you you accept it more like true like I was raised Catholic but doesn't mean I have to follow everything that the the Bible what the Bible say or the priests say man that's its own battle though that (laughs) that's its own battle because I get it I grew up in like a Pentecostal (laughs) Christian home like where my parents were disciples like they just yeah yeah crazy Christian but in a great way I think it instilled some great values in me but I think that's what you're saying when it's like you can choose the relationship you want what that looks like and part of I think going into manhood is taking that ownership in your identity in your life in your circumstances and being like no I have a voice but that becomes so difficult when like so much of your boyhood was sent not being able to live your true self and so it's almost like I feel like I'm only 21 so like whatever manhood age comes but like <laughs> like um I'm like I'm 30 <laughs> wait you're how old I'm 30 years old <laughs> don't look a day over 21 friend <laughs> so not that 30 is great I can't wait to get to 30 but um no genuinely I feel like great things will happen then but um 
I was saying, like, I feel like even now into whatever manhood, I feel like there's some parts of me that's, like, still exploring boyhood. Like, even now, I'm like, I know I have to be mature. I know I have to be grown. But, like, there was so much I didn't get to say and do as a boy that, like, I want to navigate now. But then it's so hard because the world expects us to now, like, mature, hide the emotions, and be strong all the time. It's like, nah, sometimes I want to... I don't know. Have fun. Be crazy. <laughs> yeah, I want to be just a regular person, right? Like other people. Um, I mean, I regular kids, like yeah, regular kid. Yeah, no, I think that's one of my ideas now. Right, being thirty years old, I definitely miss a lot within like my early twenties into like mid twenties. Like I started going to raves and music festivals because <laughs> I was like, well, I've been missing this all my life. And then, you know, I just started and it's actually a lot of fun. Like it releases a lot of like um, emotional pressure and yeah. Oh, that's super cool. I, I, I can't, I, I don't think my gayness extends to rave <laughs> festivals yet. I'm like, not my type. I'm more of like an R&B soul, like chill type of guy. So I, li- I like R&B too. <laughs> oh, you do? Okay, we got to talk after this then. Because yeah. we got to know your music. Um, So going off of that, in your exploration, you shed light on the concept of presentation and perception, particularly mm. regarding your sexuality, which you express could be viewed as something potentially humiliating leading you to feel compelled to alter aspects of yourself. So for indi- individuals who identify as both undocumented and queer, the societal pressure to be perceived as respectable and agreeable is like super heightened and magnet- like magnified, right? Because undocumented and queer, it's like we have to be like on top of it. We have to be respectful. We have to be like good citizens, whatever that means. Um, And sometimes that results in this internalization of some of these expectations. So I kind of want to delve deeper into the ways in which you internalize the need to be perceived as flawless or without flaws. And how did the societal pressure impact your sense of self and your understanding of what it meant to be perfect in the eyes of others? I think it also comes with, like, just trauma being an immigrant, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I mean, for me, like, yeah, you have to be flawless, flawless, right, being undocumented and queer, but also you have to be flawless just being an immigrant kid because Mm. (laughs) (laughs) they they, um, rely on you so much. Even, like, even though my parents are not here, my aunt would be like, oh, do you know this? you should know this like you, sh- you know you should have to relate information to us that we don't understand <laughs> um I think there was a lot of that but I think it's definitely a lot of pressure um because like if scholarship and even financially if your grades become lower than a 3.0 then it's gone mm. and um I am not I I am without I'm not a DACA recipient so like a lot of my financial aid really comes from um just the state um financial aid Mm. um in which really they they have like some kind of regulation where if your grades become lower than a certain number then they will take it all up and being able 
not being able to work is also hard because you rely so much and depend on those financial aid. So I had to be on top of everything in my school. But I think also adds a lot of pressure on and questioning my ability if I can do it or not. Um, I think like I didn't know <laughs> I didn't know I could go to University of Washington, right? It's mm -hmm. one of the top school in my state. Mm -hmm. And I was like, maybe I shouldn't apply. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and my my friend had to force me mm -hmm. to and freshen me. It was like, you should apply, you know, mm -hmm. you never know. And I got accepted. And it's the same thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the same thing going into like my master's program. There are a lot of questions on my ability. I think um it's what is that word um like when you question your ability um to do something That's like you're not fit imposter syndrome self imposter syndrome yes yeah there's a lot of self-doubt and it's definitely the imposter syndrome kicking in <laughs> yeah. yeah um being that you said that i want to ask um Could you share any personal experiences or moment where you kind of realize that the weight of these expectations and the toll of it all was taking a, on your well-being? Like, was there a moment where you're like, wow, these are a lot of expectations and I'm like realizing it's too much? Or are you kind of just one of those people who just like push through it despite? You know, like there's expectation from my family but I think after my mom passed away I was really just trying to finish college just oh you know this is my my mom's last wish but within that time period I think I also realized that I'm this is not just for my family this is for myself like how can I better myself really um but no, um, I cried. I cried. <laughs> I cried many. I cried many times just thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Um, like, oh, even if I go to college, like, what can I do? I can't. I won't be able to work, uh -huh. right? So, yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of crying moment. Um, <laughs> I get you. No, I feel you. Shoot, I cry all the time. I cried tonight. No. <laughs> it's cathartic. It helps out. But no, I think yeah. we just have to keep pushing through. But it's cool to see your resilience in that way. But um it's also hard to just let ourselves get a break sometimes. Like it's just hard. Like we're so hard on ourselves. And definitely figuring out that journey right now of like how to be, I don't know, nicer and kinder to ourselves. Yeah. It's it's hard to be nicer and kinder to yourself when you the have expectations or the so expectation high. yeah and it always has to be higher higher than what your family expects you to do mm -hmm. because sometimes it's not good enough yeah that's true okay so i would be grateful if you could provide further insight into the intersection of um gender and sexuality within the filipino culture you kind of talked about this a little bit particularly highlighting the tendency for the two to become intertwined and synonymous with one another. You talked about that a little mm -hmm. bit. So how does this conflation affect queer men specifically within your culture? And what 
um, how do societal norms and expectations kind of shape the experiences and identities of queer individuals, um, particularly when we're talking about traditional gender roles prevalent to Filipino society? So really dive into that kind of section you touched upon. I think, you know, that being queer and gender norms, right, I think Filipinos tend to see queer men as being um, like just cross-dressing and just having being 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 a woman, right? Mm. But trying to transition. I think they don't understand that, you know, there's so many different levels in not just sexuality, but also gender. Yeah. Uh, I think. You and know, gay doesn't and, look like one thing. <laughs> yeah, no, and gay doesn't look like one thing. No, it doesn't. <laughs> but you know, but but we have that understanding. We we have we have that culture. You know, living being being able to live in Washington State in California, one of the most progressive states in the country. We kind of see that, you know, and we learn about it. And being in school is a privilege. For having to learn more about this kind of stuff mm-hmm. but i think with filipino culture they they just see it as oh you're gay you want to cross dress and you just want to do this and that like basically i think they sexualize so much of like <laughs> just being gay in the philippines um if, if it's not sexualized it's entertainment mm. no i, totally I think agree. I, um I, I, yeah sorry go no ahead. go on. no go on no i think I think you see a lot of like, um, I mean, gay is widely accepted now in the Philippines, but as an entertainer, mm-hmm. you see that a lot in um, the TV shows, movies mm-hmm. in the Philippines and how they perceive being gay. Yeah. Um, I was going to say that's so true and it's even prevalent in because Indian background here, but like in Indian culture, same thing. I remember when I came, came out, my mom asked me at one point, she was like, do you want to like cross-dress? Do you want to like be a drag queen? I was like, what? No, I was like, that wasn't even a thought. I'm like, no, but it's like, they do have such like very like narrow-minded views on what it means to be gay. Yeah, and I don't think they understand that being gay just doesn't mean sexually but more on to like I don't think they understand the term love in Mm -hmm. the whole like yeah you can love another person Mm -hmm. as as a gay man it's not just like oh you want to be with them sexually Mm -hmm. yeah um I mean I think like I think when I talk in the zine project how like the term bakla, which is gay in the Philippines, yeah. is still derogatory. Yeah. And to call everyone that. And mm-hmm. there's really no other word for like other sexuality or gender. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, going into your now, kind of the work you do now, I want to know that in light of your experiences as an undocumented individual, um, I'm interested in understanding how undocumented and queer individual, I'm interested in understanding how these intersecting identities have kind of shaped your perspectives and analysis of political policies within your field. 
specifically, could you kind of elaborate for us on how your unique vantage point as, you know, undocumented and gay has influenced your ability to critically evaluate some of these political policies that you're either working on or that you've seen? Hmm, that's actually pretty deep. <laughs> <laughs> I think... Um... Deep here. <laughs> Um, with political policies, okay, I think for me though, a lot of my work comes with being with with um pushing forward what undocumented means and the BIPOC community rather than the LGBTQ community. Mm. Um, but it I, I know it's important to also include that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think being in public policy, you gotta really see where the trade-offs are mm-hmm. um you gotta play the game in the field <laughs> um but i think what i've done though is basically like even if we don't see this in a political level of understanding both lgbt communities creating space for those community right um for me as an organizer i also organize a lot of i I make my own um gay community within seattle and also the u.s i yeah i organize gay communities around the u.s and i you know i'm like i think this is also the question of exploring manhood right Mm. i've been trying to connect with other gaysians that i know um in the u.s um i i feel like the gaysian community is very small and growing up I didn't have that experience to know other Asian people so I've been connecting with with them in like different cities um and then just you know sharing our our stories even though they're not undocumented I think there are some who are undocumented and it's really fascinating how we can relate and create solidarity within each other I think um in terms of my professional work that I do, I think I try to incorporate um, just creating that solidarity within organizations that can help um, um, undocumented um, LGBTQ immigrants in, within Seattle. Okay, Paul, in one second, the Zoom is going to end, so uh, I don't know, I think, I thought I had the pro version, but okay. do you mind just joining back for me, please? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Thank you. No, you're good. I'm going to end it. <laughs>